This podcast is sponsored by Midwest Loan Services, a leading provider of mortgage loan subservicing. Mortgage subservicing is a highly demanding and regulated discipline that requires precise expertise to handle thousands of complex tasks. That's why lenders nationwide trust Midwest Loan Services to simplify loan servicing, reduce their costs, and mitigate their compliance risk. Learn more at MidwestLoanServices.com. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. In this CUNA News Podcast, Peter Sorcy, President and CEO of Midwest Loan Services, describes the benefits that loan subservicing offers credit unions today. As a loan subservicer, Midwest Loan Services offers credit unions a path to improved efficiency throughout the loan administration process, and that includes the burdens associated with compliance. Peter Sorcy understands how important the mortgage market is to credit unions. Through subservicing, Midwest Loan Services takes the administration part of the loan process out of the credit union's hands, leaving them more time to focus on serving their members. As Sorcy says in this podcast, a large part of what Midwest Loan Services does is educating credit unions on the value of subservicing. With that in mind, this podcast offers listeners a lot of valuable insight. Midwest Loan Services does a lot of mortgage subservicing. Can you tell me what that is? Subservicing is virtually everything that needs to occur after the loan has been closed and whether they portfolio the loan or sold it into the secondary market servicing retained. So it's taking care of all of the functions that go with servicing the loan. And, and it's really outsourcing those activities uh, operationally, administratively, from a compliance perspective, including escrow administration, reporting, and then financial. So in other words, everything related to taking care of that loan once that loan has been closed. Servicing or and or subservicing is, especially this in this day and age, it is far more than just collecting a payment. So you make life easier for credit unions? We certainly try to, yes. Especially in a very complicated and extremely, this is by, by far one of the most regulated industries out there today. So, uh, so we do work diligently to make sure that we take care of our, uh, our credit union uh, partners. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of Midwest Loan Services? Sure. Uh, it was founded by a gentleman named Ed Berger back in 1992, and he was committed then as he is today uh, with the credit union uh, space or in the credit union space. So today, 92% of all of our clients, and we have 391 financial institutions nationwide, we're in all 50 states. 92% of our client base is either a direct relationship with a credit union or through QSOs. Our primary operation is uh, located uh, up in the uh, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, Houghton, and we also have a, uh, a hub here in uh, Madison. Um, as I mentioned, we service 300 or we work with 391 financial uh, institutions nationwide. And I say the word privilege because I mean this sincerely. We are privileged to service or take care of 135,000 first mortgages 
uh, and some second mortgages uh, nationwide, and we take care of or manage the asset, the, the mortgage servicing right, uh, we take care of $34 billion worth of unpaid principal balance. We subservice for all uh, um, or for the GSEs, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, also Ginny Mae, uh, FHLB, in addition to subservicing for a, a host of uh, private portfolios. And then uh, lastly, uh, we are a diamond sponsor for uh, Akuma and uh, also a gold partner with Nakuso. We're uh, certainly committed to all the uh, entities that uh, work as uh, further outreaches for credit unions uh, accordingly. So, We touched on this a little bit, but what are the benefits of subservicing? Can we kind of drill down on that a little bit? First of all, in general, there, there's a multitude of benefits for subservicing. Some of the providers out there, there may be differing benefits. I can only speak to the ones that Midwest Loan Services delivers to or provides to our clients, client partners. Uh, but certainly, uh, credit unions can provide new products and, and services for their members without really incurring the investment and or the cost themselves. We incur it. Seldom, if ever, do I push those costs back out to the credit union partners. So uh, they pr pretty much can keep their own operational costs to a minimum. We offer insurance that uh, we will comply with all the state and federal regulatory compliances as it relates to, the, to their loans and the states that they're in. We do all of the work in their name. We do a lot of private label subservicing so that we ensure that their brand is perpetuated and is continually put in front of their members. We don't compete with them. Uh, we're just there doing uh, all of the, the uh, required functionality associated with that loan. Before we went on air here, you talked about a lot of what you do is just educating credit unions. Yes, I mean, that's important because, uh, you know, a credit union today, uh, margins are tight. They're so worried about, and as rightfully so, about taking care of everything associated with providing a good product or products, plural, to their members. So therefore, we spend our time educating them on anything and everything associated with after the loan has been closed. Because the nice part about mortgage production is that first 60 or 90 days, but then once that loan has been closed, then in my opinion, all the hard work occurs because now you've got at least the next seven to 10 years with that member collecting their payment, paying their escrows, et cetera, et cetera. So we educate them on all of the things that are required and we will additionally help them to identify what their cost to service is, especially if they're taking care of it in-house. So in other words, uh, whether it's a webinar that I'm producing or we're at conferences, uh, we make presentations in our demos, we're perpetually making sure that they understand all of the, I'll call it the pitfalls, the benefits, but also the pitfalls of ownership of the mortgage servicing right. Is there a certain size credit union that benefits most from subservicing? Well, I, uh, being an accountant by education, I first put the pencil to paper to, to figure that out because yeah. that's such a frequently asked question. And because of the cost associated with the infrastructure, because for the most part, you can't service a loan on Excel. You have to have a servicing platform. Those are not cheap. So when you, when you factor in all of the costs associated with the technology, 
And then the staff that you'll need to dedicate them to the mortgage itself, the number is about 30,000. If you have 30,000 loans or less, it makes more sense to outsource, to look for a qualified partner, client partner, but to look to outsource that portfolio because you will realize the economies of scale that go with looking for a partner that may have 200, 150, 200,000 loans. The cost that the credit union will be asked to pay is far less than their internal costs that they're bearing. The goal still is to be making sure you're giving your members as much services as you possibly can. Again, we assist on all fronts, especially putting money back into the credit unions, uh, back to their bottom line. And what differentiates one subservicer from another? I'm very intimate with a number of the subservicers out there, but once again, I can only speak for Midwest Loan Services, but certainly price is huge because after you let everybody know what the benefits are, at the end of the day, they still want to know what the price is. Yep. It's always an Don't important all. Yeah. It, it's always an important element. What are your uh, GSE ratings? How does the Fannies and the Freddies of this world rate you? Are you superior? Are you, you know, wh- where where are you on their rating scales? What is your complaint and litigation history? Nobody wants to partner with somebody who has just a, an enormous amount of litigation and or complaints uh, lodged against them because you are an extension of the credit union. In many instances, you're you're doing private label subservicing. Therefore, you are always representing as a subservicer uh, ABC Credit Union. So that's important. How uh, transparent and flexible are they, uh, the subservicer? What is their approach to member services? Can they adopt your member services? And if they can't, then in theory, they're not going to treat your member the, the way you would want them to. So that's important. So those are some of the, the, the differentiating tools that I always suggest somebody who comes to us, I invite them, if they're looking at somebody else, to look at some of these features and more. Communication is, is always key in any relationship. So what information should, should the subservicer be providing the credit union on, on a regular basis once the relationship is established? Well, I, once again, I can only speak for Midwest, but I will take a step back and say that with the passage of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, formerly the Dodd-Frank. Yes. Credit um, unions are well aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> correct. So the CFPB even dictates vendor management. Our client partners are required to, in effect, manage us. And in order for us to work as a partner, a true partner, we push out to our client base an enormous amount of data, whether it's KPIs, uh, key performance indicators, management operating report data, what our financial statements look like, audited financial statements, our SOC report one and two, our gap letter that covers the last three months of each year, uh, our insurance coverage, what our complaint history is, et cetera, et cetera. We push all of that out to our current clients because that's that's imperative for them to be managing us. It's all about being transparent because we're we're the custodians, if you will, of their loan. And so, you know, we want to make sure they know what we're doing. We are the book of record in the subservicing world, but still it's their loan. They are, if they own the servicing rights, they are considered the servicer. We are considered the subservicer. 
So at the end of the day, we push out a ton of information to our client partners so that we remain as transparent as possible. You, you want to eliminate any surprises. And so we work hard to do that. And you mentioned KPIs as in key performance indicators. You're limited only by how creative you, yeah. you are or are <laughs> not. But that said, the standard KPIs that we have are everything from uh, our member service uh, metrics, uh, the phone calling activity. So uh, from that standpoint, I will report on everything from what is our average speed of answer? How long did a member have to stay on the line? Uh, what is our abandonment rate? How many times did a member say, oh, you know, I can't stay on this line any longer. I gotta, I'm going to hang up. Uh, what's our average talk time? We'll have stats, uh, statistics on uh, our new loan boarding. How long did it take to board that loan? What's the standard payment channel activity? Uh, how long did it take us to post that payment? Today, you got to post it the same day. And so what we do with all of our KPIs then is we, we report on our actual and then we bump it up against whatever the, the standard is. And the Fannies and the Freddies have their own standards. The CFPB has their own standards. And they will say, among other things, you have within four days after late charge, which is usually the 16th of the month, within four days after that, you have to send out the member's monthly statement. And we're all measured by that. And so we measure that, among other things. And this, too, is what we give to our clients to make sure it's, it's one more level of them being able to manage us without really being in our shop. That's our way of managing the members who really are our clients, our client partners. That They are their members. And we don't want to give that member any reason to want to leave that credit union, you know, for poor service or otherwise. So it's, it's just all rolled up. The key performance indicators will tell a story, but it's all after the fact. We take it and make sure that everything we do, if there's some something that says something may not be right, we're immediately reacting to it. Regulatory challenges are a big issue for credit unions. As a subservicer, what do you do to ease the regulatory process for credit unions? First of all, we make sure that we, we know what regulations are out there. And uh, we build within our processes and our, our training for our staff to make sure that they're aware of all of these regulations at the state and federal level. And because of that, and by doing that, we are inherently taking the onus away from the credit unions and bringing it onto us to be able to carry out the functions and to be able to carry them out in a way that will always meet and or exceed, but certainly meet the requirements uh, that the regulations uh, uh, mandate. And, you know, case in point, you have to be intimate with all of the regulations all across the United States because many of the states have taken it upon themselves to add additional protection to their constituents. And uh, as an example, uh, California has adopted a number of years ago or a few years ago what's called the Rosenthal Act. And the Rosenthal Act provides the residents of California protection that is even greater than what the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau provides. So we always will observe whatever law that provides the consumer, i.e. the member, with the most protection. So therefore, at every juncture within our process, whether we're answering a call, making an outbound call, uh, or, or processing a payment or everything in between, we make sure that we're intimate with and we're following that regulation. And each year, we go through additional training 
And each year we verify that all of our procedures reflect the regulation that covers one or more of those procedures. So every entity such as ours is required to do maintain what's called a CMS, a compliance management system. And within, it, within that, you're covering even the training and you're looking at your procedures and you're matching the regulation to the procedure so that the regulators will see that you've gone to the extent with which to take that regulation, tie it back to the procedure or process that must ensure they're complying with that. So uh, we do that annually and, uh, and, and that's important. And that's just one more level of our commitment to our credit union client partners that we will do their work in a compliant way at both the state and federal level. Yeah, I'm sure credit unions can identify with that. And I'm sure that alone would make you attractive to credit union clients. Well, through that education, we try to have, in this case, credit unions, maybe make the decision to outsource a little sooner because a lot of those that come to us come to us after there's an issue of some kind. And, you know, you can always, you can try to unwind some of this stuff, but it's always better if you can to be as proactive as possible so that you don't have to reach out or, you know, pick up the phone and, and say, I need your help now. But, but that is important because many times too, I still get a response from a credit union, not a member, but, but an individual that works at the credit union that might say, well, you know what? We understand the CFPB but we're not required to follow it. We're too small. And although there's a limited, there's a minimum, uh, I believe it's 5,000 loans. If you have less than 5,000 loans, in theory, some of the nine pillars of the CFPB may not apply to you. However, if you engage in or hire or otherwise work with an entity that is governed by the CFPB, yeah. through that relationship, the credit union is ultimately then required to comply with a number of those pillars. So, so anyway, we're here to help. And I think our audience would be very interested to hear your perspective on what the biggest regulatory challenges are for you right now. The biggest challenge for us is ensuring that we keep up. I have legal counsel that works, that reports directly to me whose job it is to work at the state level to make sure that we know whenever the states are about to enact or have for comment anything that they're contemplating that would pertain to mortgages. We utilize uh, all regs as an example, as another source with which to ensure that we are always aware of anything either contemplated or about to roll out from a state perspective. And that would include things like they're going to limit the amount of NSF fees that somebody would, would have to pay or that uh, you can no longer charge somebody for a uh, ACH or oh, we don't do that. But so these are the important things that we need to make sure as a servicer, subservicer that we're intimate with. So the challenge is to always ensure that you, you know what these legislatures and there's 50 of them in the, in the United States that what they're contemplating. But other than that, it's a matter of interpreting the legislation and then making sure that you go look into your process and wherever you need to elevate something because of this new regulation, you do so. So I don't consider that as much of a challenge. It's just to make sure that we, we always stay on top of uh, what's coming out at both the state and federal levels. What are the biggest challenges within the mortgage market right now, kind of as we speak? 
Well, um, one of the bigger challenges is uh, the inventory of existing homes is a bit tight. And the only way to work on that, of course, is to do more construction. Well, the construction costs, labor and such, they are posing a challenge to the marketplace out there. And so because the inventory is a little bit tight, construction costs are a little higher than they once were. It used to be you could build a house a little cheaper, in theory, get a brand new home for a little less than what you would buy an existing property for. What we're seeing is that's reversed. And then lastly, you're, you're in a bit of a rising interest rate environment. The irony to the interest rate is that it's still at historical lows. But some of the younger purchasers don't remember the 19% interest rate of the, of the 80s and so on and so forth. So if it goes from 45 to 5.5%, in theory, that 1% increase shouldn't take many people out. But it's still the perception that it's in a rising interest rate. So in summary, it's a bit of a tight inventory uh, for existing property. Construction costs being higher than, than uh, I'll say, historical. And then lastly, uh, the quote-unquote rising interest rate environment. Are there opportunities therein? Certainly. I, I, I still believe there are, are plenty of opportunities. Even at a you know, 5 or 6% interest rate mortgage, it's, it's still, uh, that's still relatively inexpensive money to buy a home. I also think that with other products that are mortgage related, like the HELOCs. A lot of our, the, the homeowners who have been in their homes a while, who've built up a nice little nest egg of equity, you know, they, they could draw on that. And, and if they so chose, there's still, and I, I, you know, I'm not a tax expert, but I still believe there's still some tax benefit to the interest rate deduction. And, and that may be moving away. Uh, but uh, right now, I believe there still is. So there's a lot of people that are utilizing their equity for purchasing of whatever else. We live in an age of data analytics, artificial intelligence. You know, virtually every month there's a advances made. Is that affecting your business at all? Yes and no. And here's where I say yes and no. We have adopted a high touch point of member service. I keep on staff a large team of customer service, member service reps, uh, so that nobody has to stay on the line too long if they so choose to call. Many of our clients want the human interaction. I have all the technology, the IVR systems, uh, uh, members can go on to website, our website uh, or the, their financial institution's website. They can set up payments. They can do a host of things. But we still have. I still get almost 16, 17,000 calls a month. I make sure that we incorporate the technology for those who want to use that technology, but I also have to keep it so that somebody who doesn't want the technology, uh, who still wants to pick up the phone and call and speak with somebody, that that service is afforded to them. Sure, I, and I meet both those criteria. Right. So. But, but to that end, we cannot, nor can anybody, service the loans with all of those regulatory demands without having a solid technology servicing platform. And then all of the credit reporting requirements, you have to have technology to push that data out. So we have to wrap around our servicing platform, just an enormous amount of technology to drive all of this data, and then to analyze the data. So that's important as well. So yes, we have a lot of technology, 
uh, that we utilize, but we also balance that with live interaction because that's so important. Yeah, you're in a high-touch business. High-touch business, exactly. Is there any services you offer besides subservicing? Our core business is mortgages, residential one to four family mortgages. Uh, we can service uh, uh, ARM loans, we can service HELOC loans, etc. But what we don't do, we do not offer any other products. We're not selling insurance. We're not, you know, we're not doing anything of the kind. We are there to be their ARM, their extension for subservicing only, and we're not there to compete with our credit union partners. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. This podcast was sponsored by Midwest Loan Services, a leading provider of mortgage loan subservicing. Learn more at MidwestLoanServices.com.